This is The Bittersweet Life. If you're new to the show, thanks for joining us. I'm Katie Sewell. I've been in the radio business for nearly 20 years, mostly working for public radio in the United States. In 2013, I quit my stable job and I moved to Rome for just a year. That's where this podcast begins. And if you're new, don't be afraid to start at the beginning. I'd hate for you to miss out on the adventure. That adventure might inspire you to do something crazy, like quit your stable job and move to Rome for just one year. And my co-host is Tiffany Parks. She's a writer and author of Midnight in the Piazza. And she's also an expat who moved to Rome over a decade ago with the determination to stay whatever it took. She's also my childhood friend. I met her on the school bus in the sixth grade. I hope you like the show, and if you do, tell a friend and take the time to write us a review. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And today, we're going to talk about creativity. Inspiration. <laughs> In part, because of an email that we got. Should we just start with the email? And, and then we'll move on from there. Go ahead, read it. Okay, this is an email from Emma Stevenson and Oli Nelson, or it could be Oli Nelson, sorry, O-L-I is how it's spelled. They are an indie pop duo, and they're also Aussie expats that are now living in New York City. And a couple months ago, they sent us their debut single, which was called Out on the Sea, which we're going to play at the very end of this episode. But along with sending us the lyrics of that song, Emma sent us a note that goes along with it, and I liked her note, and I thought we could spring off a discussion from it. She wrote, I wrote this song to capture the polarities of inspiration and anxiety that I feel as an expat in New York City. My head is swimming with fantasies about all the creative possibilities and opportunities that are afforded by being immersed in a community where everyone is so talented and ambitious. Yet I also feel like I'm sobering up and growing beyond some naive mental obstacles that I couldn't shake before we uprooted our whole life and moved to the other side of the world. I feel like a little kid that's plucked up the courage to do something way out of their comfort zone, while the adults all speculate, patiently from the sidelines, cognizant of the impending chaos, but wise enough to leave you alone and let you captain your own voyage. Wow. Echoes of the fear that we talked about last week of that, but also the... This kind of empowering, yeah, the adults are speculating, but we're driving the boat now and, and we're going to New York to see what happens to us. Like I mentioned, they also included a song that they wrote that was inspired by this big move that they made to the other side of the world. I don't know. I thought that that was sort of an interesting way to kick off a discussion about how moving or traveling changes you creatively. I should mention, like, one of the lyrics I really love in this song that you'll hear at the end, she writes... Yes, ever since the beginning, curious people got out on the big old sea. And it's sort of that spirit of adventure of they're not the first people to have crossed the ocean to try to find themselves. And I love that sort of link to the past, too. Yeah, it's it's true, though. I mean, I think the words that strike me the most are in that email are getting out of your comfort zone, because I think that doing that, and of course, being an expat and traveling in general is one of the main ways that you do get out of your comfort zone. And I think getting out of your comfort zone, uh, I think it's been scientifically proven that it fuels creativity. Well, yeah, I do think that when you travel 
that you just start to notice things differently. Mm-hmm. Notice details in the world where maybe in your own hometown, you blur those details out. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I was discussing this concept with a friend and they were saying that they think, and given that you talked about language on the Thursday mini episode last week, they think that when you go to a country that's in a different language, now granted, going to Australia to New York is in a different language, but when you do go to one in a different language and you don't speak that language, that you end up either writing more because you can't communicate normally, so you write out your thoughts, or you kind of talk to yourself more. And something in in that process fuels creativity. And also that because you have to think when you are engaged with people that you have to think about what you're saying so hard that it also slows down all that just jibber jabber that you would do otherwise because you can't communicate that way. Yeah, you kind of filter out anything that's not necessary, anything that's not meaningful. You filter it out because you just don't have time. That's very interesting. Well, when you were in Rome... And we've established that you never really <laughs> mastered Italian. No. Uh, when you were in Rome, you were writing a ton, if I remember. Not just creative writing, but journal writing. Like you were just very, you were very into your writing at that time. Yeah, I have a lot of notebooks from Rome. A lot, a lot, a lot. I don't know that I'll ever actually go through and read them all again. But I think there are seven or eight books. There's a wow. giant stack. Full-size wow. notebooks. And what I have a tendency to do is I write on one side going in one direction and I flip the book over and upside down and I write backwards going the other direction. Yes, Katie, I know this. You've written me long letters like this (laughs) in notebooks. You filled notebooks doing this. So I know that style. That's interesting that you had, I mean, do you think it was for that reason? Or do you think it was also, it's probably for that reason and for the fact that you didn't have a day job? Yeah, I think it was for a lot of reasons because it was also just trying to, especially in a place like Rome or, or anywhere that has like such a deep, long history, you can learn so many different things. And I think I was just writing down observations, but I was also analyzing my past artistic life, really, really trying to sort out what had I been doing creatively? What had I lost while doing that stuff? What was I not pursuing anymore? And then what can I recover? that spirit of recovery. Yeah. As we've talked about, I worked in daily radio. So having to produce something every single day wasn't not creative. It was creative. But over time, I think the managerial stuff, the having to make sure everything was in place, having to go to meetings and be the one that liaisoned with bosses and things like that started to crush a little bit of the (laughs) the daily creativity after a while. Of course, it's like you're your left brain was taking over. You know, they say, they, they I don't know who they are, but whatever. Those people, yeah. Those people say you should do something creative every day. If you have a creative job, that doesn't count. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, if your job is to create a two-hour daily radio show, you don't get a pass. Then you have to go home and you have to do something else that's not part of your job. You have to paint or you have to write a song or whatever it is. But to get back onto the travel of expat artist path thing. I don't think it's a surprise that so many great writers lived abroad and are in painters too. Just off the top of my head, I can think of Hemingway and Picasso and Gauguin and Fitzgerald. I mean, that was kind of a generation, but they all lived abroad and 
and many more. I mean, that's not even scratching the surface. So many in Italy, like Goethe and Lord Byron and Keats and Shelley. And it's insane how many writers and, and artists and poets, etc., lived abroad. Did they move abroad because they were curious and they didn't feel that they fit in? Or did they become writers because they were abroad? I don't know. Which comes first? Well, and probably with each individual, it's a different story. Mm-hmm. That's funny. That reminded me of a, a Hemingway story. <laughs> because, of course, A Movable Feast is the quintessential expat book, <laughs> basically. Mm-hmm. So good. Again, this is another one of those, who are they? Somebody told this story, but who were they? I don't remember. But there was a, a person who went abroad to try to retrace some of the steps of Hemingway in A Movable Feast and went to one of the cafes where supposedly he was writing all the time. And he goes up to the bartender there and asks about it. And the bartender says, supposedly, and who knows if this is a real story or not, but supposedly says, oh, Hemingway, we never saw him. He never wrote in here. He was always up in his room alone writing, which in a way makes a lot of sense because writing is such a solitary thing. It's not necessarily like you'd be writing a book in the midst of a whole bunch of other expats while a band plays. And (laughs) (laughs) You know, as a writer, I long for that. I long to sit in a cafe and write. And I have a lifestyle right now that doesn't really give me that opportunity very much. But I mean, before I had a kid and moved slightly out of the center, slightly, quite a bit out of the center and had, you know, a full-time day job and all of that, I could have done that any day of the week. I was living in the middle of Tristevere. I never did that. I mean, sometimes I would be like, mm, I think I'll go right in a cafe. It's such a sunny day. And I would get there and well first I wouldn't be able to see my computer screen because I would be, <laughs> be too sunny like, yeah <laughs> it'd be too sunny and then but but even if that weren't a problem it was like I always got so distracted like I couldn't focus I think some people can and some people thrive on chaos and maybe get ideas from the people that they're seeing maybe get character quirks and things like that I don't not while I'm writing. I have to be alone. And I I can't even make myself a cup of tea because I will become distracted by my tea. The time that it takes me to drink my tea, I won't get any writing done. I've realized this about myself. I, I cannot have any distractions. So what is that dream of writing in a cafe then? I know. I want to do it so bad. But what is that? What is it that you want from that? It's just picturesque. This is the life. Like I'm in a Roman cafe writing my next book. True, and... but if you're writing in your cozy office, isn't it just about the same or no? Um, well, I'm, I'm a very social creature. Mm-hmm. I like people. I like being around people, not necessarily like friends, just people having people around me that I don't know. I like that. I enjoy that about being out in a cafe. For example, like if I had, a, I mean, I do have a terrace, but let's say I had a terrace in the center of Trastevere with a beautiful view of a piazza or something. And I could either go there for a cafe and read my book or go to a, an actual cafe where there were people around me and read a book or something. I would choose that. I would choose to be in a place that was more social. Mm-hmm. It was more lively. I just like that. Not that I like chaos. I don't like places that are like heaving with people, but you know, a few people around, it just, it gives me energy, but it also distracts me, so. See, I actually feel like I write better if I am in a cafe. Really? I think it's partly because I have, in the time I've been living in San Francisco, 
I've been making a conscious effort to get back to that Roman way of things where I write more. Now, I'm not creating books upon piles of books here, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm trying to do it more regularly. And often to force that, I will take my computer to the same cafe. And I think a part of it is that I just take myself out of the house. Mm -hmm. That forces me to do what I came to do there. Not be able to clean, not be able to have ding dong my cat <laughs> sitting on my computer screen, you know? I just remove myself. And then of course, once you get to the cafe, it's the same thing. Some days it goes really, really well. And some days all I can do is mess around with my coffee and the croissant that I got and look around and think, oh gosh, I suck and you know, <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> stuff like that. Although I did, I will say that by going to a cafe, I did get, I recently wrote a kid's book that came from writing in that cafe. I'm not going to tell you the whole story here, because hopefully it'll be on your picture book shelves someday in the future. Yay. But it's basically about a pigeon that is employed at a hamburger stand. But the way I got the idea for this story was that every single day when I'd be sitting in this cafe, the door would swing open when a customer came in. And every now and then the same pigeon would march into the room and start cleaning up the floor as if she just owned the place. <laughs> you know? And that just sort of got this idea of like, well, what if there was a pigeon who just was reporting for work, blew in the door as the door came open? You know, hilarity ensues. <laughs> but anyway, so that's like kind of the, what you're talking about, those little notes of inspiration that sometimes come from just being out in the world. You see a person, you get an idea, you see a pigeon, they get employed. Yeah, I mean, for me personally, I want to say every single idea I've ever had for anything I've ever written that might, <laughs> you know, maybe like 95% has come from the city of Rome. Mm -hmm. I'm a classic case of someone who became inspired, found their creativity, found their muse because they lived abroad. I honestly do not know if I would have become a writer if I hadn't moved to Rome. And that's a pretty big deal. <laughs> um, yeah, considering it's sort of the way you identify yourself, yeah. from a, at least an employment standpoint. No, it's absolutely the way I identify myself. And it's like everything that I, it's everything that I want for my future as well, professionally. The first idea that I had to write, you know, Midnight in the Piazza, when I first got that idea, it was such a, like, I wasn't expect, I mean, I never expected to write a book. My main dream was to be an opera singer. What was the spark that you saw that got that book going? It was a couple of things, but there was a seed planted when I heard the story of the legend of the Turtle Fountain. When I was taking a tour, I had a friend who was a tour guide my first year in Rome before I became a tour guide, and I went on his tour, and he told that story, and that was the first seed. And then later that same year, I made an acquaintance with an adolescent girl who was living in a building in Piazza Mattei who had a view of the Turtle Fountain, and that was another seed. Years and years after these two seeds were planted, something in me just said, I want to write a, I think I was in a bookshop and I was looking at expat essays and expat memoirs and, you know, things like that, thinking, oh, you know, I'd love to write a book, like a memoir about my life as an expat in Rome, but it's been done. You know, there's so many of those books out there, it would never get published. And then I started thinking and I thought, I wonder if there's a book like that that's written from the perspective of a young person, an adolescent person. That was really when the seeds started growing, I guess. And you know what? I'm going to try to do this. And I knew right away that I wanted it to take place 
in and around Piazza Mattei. I wanted there to be something to do with the Turtle Fountain and the legend behind it. I wanted my heroine to be a young American girl who had a view of that fountain. And so I just started writing that story, not knowing, not having any clue where it would go. But so many other ideas that I have had, you know, even just simple things like articles and blog posts, of course, but even ideas I've had for other books that I haven't started writing yet, or just ideas that I've scribbled down that I've like, oh, this would be such a good idea for a story or for a book. It's all Rome. Mm -hmm. I saw this amazing ancient funerary monument that has this like interesting story behind it. I'm like, that would be a good story. Or I see a painting that is really mysterious and there's this history behind it. That would make a really good story. It's like, it all comes from Rome. I like, I'm so grateful to the city because it's my constant well of ideas. Yeah. We should mention that the legend of the Turtle Fountain, in case people are like, oh my gosh, what the heck is the legend of the Turtle Fountain? The legend is, is that it <laughs> you was just have to read. You have to read Midnight in the Piazza and you'll find out. That's, but yes, Katie, sorry. sorry. You should get Midnight in the Piazza, but the legend is that the, the fountain itself was built in one night, where if you were to look at it in person, if you visit Rome and you go find the Turtle Fountain... It would seem like an impossible feat. It would seem like it, <laughs> but you know, you never know. I was thinking when you were talking about that, since we're talking about Rome specifically, that you do pick up these nuggets. And I have these nuggets too from my time in Rome that I still don't know what to do with. And remember when you made me write that thing for a month where we tried to write a book in a month? Oh, NaNoWriMo. Right, right, right. And I did that with you one year. Yes, I now remember. And I only got 25,000 words done. Hey, that's not that's not bad. Uh, where I believe you got 50,000. <laughs> yeah, and most of mine's complete garbage, by the way. But <laughs> that book, there are elements of that book, that quote-unquote book, I should say, that uh, I have never forgotten that I picked up from Rome that I still feel like I really want to do something with. And the way that book starts is a guy is on his way to apply for a job. And as he's on the little tram on his way to go apply for this job, he's looking up at the different names of all the places that the tram goes. And he realizes that he's never been to the end of the line. And so instead, he says, oh, rather than go apply for this job, I'm going to just take this to the end of the line and see what happens. And that just came from the same thing. Derek and I being on the tram that goes through Tristevere and saying, hey, I've never been to the end of the line on this. Should we stay on till the end and see where we end up? And we took it all the way to the end and we got out and took a walk and we walked into a neighborhood and we came upon an abandoned house, totally overgrown, built of stones, sitting off there by itself, full of furniture and garbage. And that house looked off across a green prairie at something that looked like a rotting castle that was way in the distance. Where are we, (laughs) you know? And that sort of notion of this abandoned house, the rotting castle, all of it sitting alone, and then this character finding all that at the end of the line. All of that is true, but then you can build whatever story out of that. Mm-hmm. But still, it hasn't gone away. I still feel like I should work on that book at some point. There's something there. You should. That's enough there. That sounds know? great. Yeah, that's the thing. But that's the thing about inspiration. My whole point in that story is that what is that? That's just one little thing that you did on a travel trip and that for whatever reason, you can't forget that moment and whatever it sparks there. Well, when you're traveling, you're just more alive, I think. You're more aware, you're more tuned in. You can't phone it in like the way you do on your daily commute. You don't even pay attention. You're just going, you're just doing the same drive or whatever, subway ride every single day. You're not thinking about it. You're probably thinking about other things. 
you're at work, you're with the same people, you're doing the same things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting depressed. <laughs> but you know what I mean? When you're traveling or when you're living in a foreign place at the beginning, because for me, I don't really feel like an expat anymore, quite frankly. I've been here so long. Yeah, yeah. You're pretty entrenched. But your senses are just so heightened. You notice things. And I'm sure that's what fuels the inspiration for so many people. I think that noticing, though, if you really work at it, can happen in your own life. Like you're saying, like you're still picking up things all the time. And and I've been trying to really make an effort to not just sit and read my phone if, if I'm commuting. Yeah. To actually look out the window and see what's going on around me a little bit more. I don't know. For some reason, I was just thinking of James Joyce, who wrote The Dubliners, who was from Dublin, but then lived in Paris and Italy, like many of the other authors that were moving around. And Mm -hmm. he's sort of the opposite in the sense that he moves to, I don't remember, Paris or Italy, one of the two, wherever he is when he writes that book. But he goes away to be able to write, to like be able to see his home clearer. He couldn't write about his home until he got the distance to be able to write about it. So that he couldn't have written The Dubliners while living in Dublin. So it's sort of the opposite. Like he needed to get away to be able to write about where he was from. That reminds me of a quote that I actually put on our Instagram. If you're not following us yet, by the way. Yeah. The Bittersweet Life podcast on Instagram. We post every day. I try to. And there's videos too. Yes. We actually make videos on a weekly basis. Mm -hmm. There are videos. Okay, here we go. So I found the quote. It's by G.K. Chesterton. And he says... The whole object of travel is not to set foot on foreign land. It is at last to set foot on one's own country as a foreign land. Mm, I like that. What do you take from that? I wonder if we take the same thing away from that. Um, I mean, I think it's (laughs) something. I mean, it's not exactly the same, but it's when you see other places, you are able to look at your own home in a more objective way. It's hard to judge where you're from if you've never been anywhere else or if you've, you know, spent very little time anywhere else. So when you go abroad, I feel like I can judge the United States a little bit better now having lived away from it for so long. And I don't mean judge in a negative way. I just mean see it and have opinions about it. I took it totally differently. And that's always the great thing about a good quote. <laughs> I took it to mean that by traveling, circling back to where we started, that by traveling, you slow down a bit, you notice more and that maybe by slowing down a bit and noticing more when you get home you notice more yeah well that too that could be it too or at least notice the things that you were missing about home mm-hmm. oh you know i love my comfortable little office it's so nice to be back or, <laughs> or that you just see the world differently yeah or like through foreign eyes maybe that's cool i like that is there any other place that you traveled to besides italy that you really took a notion or a new artistic interest from um not to be cliche but i i do love paris (laughs) who doesn't (laughs) i who doesn't quite (laughs) frankly i've been there several times i went there as a foreign exchange student for a short period not for a whole year or anything but for a short summer period and i won't compare it to rome because that's like comparing apples and oranges but neither of them are comparable to any other place So I do love that. So don't want to be cliche, but I love that place. Yeah, but did it teach you one thing specifically or like an image that you carried? Or no, it just fuels you with the the desire to create. Yeah, there's not. Yeah, there's not. I don't think I spent enough time there. Not to say that you can't be inspired in a day. 
come up with a story by visiting a place. But I can't think of anything specific, but I can see the, the, the possibility of that. Yeah. You know what else? I, this is a really weird example. I also love how when you're traveling, you sometimes pick up on a weird thread that you follow into something that you remember for some reason. That's a terrible description of what I'm talking about. So I'm just going to tell you what I'm talking about. So <laughs> I went to Granada and went to the Alhambra. Have you been? Have you been there? I have. I adore Granada. Not just the Alhambra. I adore the whole the whole city. I just loved it there. Can you describe what the Alhambra is for people who have never been there? Well, it's a palace. And I, I believe it's like a Moorish palace. Mm-hmm. It's built on a hilltop overlooking the city. And it's... It's just magical. It's the decoration is very Arabian, for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. It's like the kind of place that you imagine out of a fairy tale, out of like a one hundred one thousand and one Arabian Nights with the fountains. I just remember the fountains that just run along the ground. Like there's just these little fountains. They have these little tiny rivulets dug into the ground everywhere. So there's just water flowing everywhere. Oh, yeah, I loved it and there. <laughs> so much colorful tile. And yes, uh, I mean, the light just sort of sparkles off. And then there's other parts that are just white. It's it's really amazing. So while I was there, I discovered that the American writer Washington Irving lived there for a time. And he mm. wrote a book about what it was like to live there, which is not a riveting book. I'm not going to recommend <laughs> it. But after that, pulling on these creative threads, I got kind of interested in Washington Irving and like what the heck he would have been doing there. And then I ended up reading part of a different book that he wrote, which is called Brace Briggs Hall, which nobody's ever read. But the thing that... (laughs) (laughs) Poor Washington Irving. Yeah, this is how I'm following this thread is that... So in reading Brace Briggs Hall, there's a scene in that book where an older person is watching two young lovers walking arm in arm together through an empty ballroom. And the ballroom's not lit up at all, but there's sun coming through the windows. They pass into the light, and then they disappear into the shadow, and they pass into the light, and they disappear into the shadow as they're passing through this giant room. And he says something along the lines of, well, isn't that just life, that we are lit up and youthful, and then we pass into darkness? He says it in a much more beautiful way. Mm -hmm. But I've never forgotten that image of these two young lovers passing in and out of the light Mm. him referring to it that way about how our own lives are like that passing in and out of the light and that is just like this weird long thread that comes from going to granada that ends in the image of these two lovers from a book way back in the past Mm. that's the other kind of stuff that i love that is in the creative fabric of traveling are the threads that you find along the way that you follow you know yeah yeah i love when i read a book that takes place in a particular city, and then I go there. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's quite special too. Yeah, you can look up all the spots. Mm-hmm. Discovering that people did that with my book, I got several emails from like moms who did that with their kids. Oh, that's cool. They had read the book before they came, and then they went and took pictures, and that was incredible. It just made me so happy. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, in a few weeks, I'm going to interview an author that wrote and this book doesn't seem to make any sense in the context of our show, but she wrote a book called The Five, which is about the five women that Jack the Ripper killed. Oh, God. And she's trying to bring them back to life because normally you kind of just know them as victims, but she's trying to say, like, who were these five people in real life? Okay. And the reason I said yes during the interview with her is because I thought, for those of you who are living in London and for those of us who have traveled to London, she paints this amazingly rich 
picture of what it would have been like to live in London in the 1880s. And so I thought it would be really fun to uh, all of us take a trip to the 1880s and find out what the reality of life was. And so if we have trips planned to London, then we can walk the same streets that she's talking about and picture it. I want to read it now. We're going to do that soon. I'm interviewing her in the mid-April, so it's going to be a while yet, but we'll get there. Well, um, not to go on too much of a tangent, but you just made me think of the fact that I haven't really talked about it on our podcast, I don't think, but the book that I'm writing right now is a work of historical fiction, and it takes place in 1599 in Rome. And it's been a huge challenge to try to figure out what life was like in Rome at that time. Yeah. It's a time that it's not like it's some random obscure period or it's not a random obscure city, but nevertheless, it's really been a challenge. Like even simple things like what kind of wine glass would you have? Would your wine glass be made of glass or would it be made of metal? What kind of servants would be serving at a table? So even just writing like a dinner scene is incredibly challenging or what were the carriages like at that time? What were the clothes? I mean, the clothes, that's a little bit easier. You can find information about clothes, but here's something, because my heroine is, you know, she's a noble woman, and so she lives in a palace with her uncle, who's a cardinal. Where does her servant sleep? Does her servant sleep in the room with her, mm. or does she sleep in a separate room? These are questions that I don't have answers to. Yeah. And Caravaggio is a huge part of my story. He's not one of the main characters, but he's an important character because he's living in the same palace as my heroine. And a lot of things about, about his techniques. I mean, there's not a lot that's known about Caravaggio's techniques. Like there's a lot of theories, but we don't really, really know. And so that's been another enormous challenge. Writing historical fiction is a lot harder than I imagined it would be. Yes. I had to take a historical fiction writing class to get my creative writing major in college. Oh my gosh. Tell me, tell me, tell me what you learned. I mean, back then too, the internet wasn't quite as prolific as it is now. Of course. So researching it was really, really, really hard. Mm. But I had the exact same problem. I was writing about the painter Modigliani. All right. I had never been to Europe. I didn't know anything. <laughs> and I had exactly that same problem. I want him to leave the house. Once you want the character to leave the house, oh no, now I have all manner of problems. Yes. <laughs> are there streetlights out there? Are yeah. there? What kind of people are going by? Mm -hmm. And then I started thinking, well, how much of this story do I actually have to write to pass this class? Should I just have him not leave the house? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm going through exactly the same things. I Google things like, when were gas street lamps invented? I discovered it was like in the 1800s. Yeah, and I, yeah. had, I had like written in gas street lamps. I was like, oh, shoot. Okay, <laughs> I got to uh, get rid of the gas street lamps. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's hard. So I mean, I don't even know what, you know, I mean, like there's so many streets in Rome that didn't exist in 1599. Looking up old maps, like to try to figure out which streets were there, which streets weren't there. Oof. But anyway, it's, it's cool. Yeah, but it's hard. But it's fun. It's also really fun to transport myself. I mean, obviously, for me, it's not a different city because it's my city. But for someone who is potentially going to read this, they're transporting themselves not just to a different place, but a different time. And I hope that that will come across eventually. I need some help. You know how when you read those books and then you read the acknowledgments and it's like, thank you so much to Professor XYZ for their invaluable help writing this book. I'm like, I need that professor. I need someone who's going to yeah. be like, this is what life was like. Yeah, that's great. That's so interesting. And just in case I forget to say it when I interview this woman, because there's so much in this book and we only have a limited amount of time. But the most fascinating thing I've 
learned so far in reading this is that during the era of typesetting to print newspapers and such, like the little typesetting letters, mm-hmm. of course, blacksmiths were employed doing that, making those. Oh. But I would have never thought that's what a blacksmith does. Oh. But there was a certain class of blacksmith that made letters. Of course. Isn't that so cool? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, of course. But at the same point, it would have never occurred to me that that would have been one of the professions in the writing industry at that time. Fascinating. Great little tidbits. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we should... Uh, probably end we should leave it there yeah everybody go out into the world and get creative yeah uh, right now that's an order <laughs> <laughs> uh, but really do uh share your stories with us about ways that travel or living abroad inspired your creativity so send us a voice memo or an email with your thoughts or uh, write about them on social media mm-hmm. yes please do look for the bittersweet life podcast And thank you to Trash Can Dream for sending us your email and for sharing your first song in the world, Out on the Sea. Uh, Congratulations on the big new move to New York City. Hope it's going well. Yes, let us know. Yeah, and of course, right after I finish talking and Tiffany stops talking, we'll play the song. So if you're interested in hearing it, stay tuned. And until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us again. Bye. There is a boat on the ocean Fabled in old mystery Yes, ever since the beginning Curious people got out on the big old sea When you're a child on the mainland People say run to the sea Hoist up your sails and get going Nobody knows where you're headed Just wait and see Wait and see Patiently drifting
Thanks to Lori Lee Elliott for her help managing the bittersweet life on YouTube, and to Sarah Johnson for her consultation. Our logo is made by Jody Rick at the Lost Laboratory, with painting assistance by our muse, Caravaggio. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just search for The Bittersweet Life Podcast. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the show. That way we're here for you every week, both on Monday and now on Thursday. And if you review us on Apple Podcasts, we'll be grateful for you. Send us your topic ideas, questions, and voice memos. We're at bittersweetlife at mail.com or at the Contact Us page at thebittersweetlife.net. 